Hi everyone, welcome to this week's podcast. Today we're chatting about how to make art on a budget. I'm sharing some of the tips and tricks that I've used over the years to stretch my dollar further and help me to make more art and just to kind of operate in a more intentional way. Hello Laura, how are you going? I'm really good, thank you. It's the beginning of a week. Well, it is at the time that we record this. It is. Episode number 55. 55. Goodness. Real, isn't it? Got a good rhythm with it now, haven't we? Yeah. Well, this week I thought we could have a conversation about how to save money and make art on a budget. Yeah, I'm all about it. <laughs> <laughs> because I know that when you're making art and maybe if you're doing it as a hobby, it really starts to add up. And that was certainly my experience. There's a few things that you can do to kind of save money and stretch your dollar further. It's just as important when you are a professional artist selling your work because you want to make sure that you are making a profit. And it can be very revealing when you get into the detail of how much did I actually spend to make this piece of art? You know, what did I what did I spend on the surface, the paints, taking that all into account? Am I actually making money on this? Yeah. And that's not even bringing into the equation your time spent is just looking at the cost of goods. With that said, let's chat about making art on a budget. But don't you have to be careful because there's a difference between cheap and budget. Yeah, well, that's what this podcast is all about. It's it's about making smart decisions. This isn't about buying all the cheap stuff. It's about thinking and being intentional about the way that you approach your art supplies. So you're just going to be a little bit more frugal. Yeah, frugal and smart. Yeah. Like, you know, spend money where it matters. Before we dive into this week's episode, I just wanted to mention that we have a bit of a new thing going on. Instead of just making the podcast, we are now also putting out a vlog. So it's a video blog where we talk about some of the things that come through in the podcast and it creates a bit more of a visual experience. So if we're talking about things like art supplies, then you get to see in my studio and get a bit more of a feel for what we're talking about. Because as much as we love podcasts, Casting, it is limited in a sense that you don't get to see the visuals. So we thought it'd be cool to bring in some visual supplementary content. So this content is available through the show notes. If you go to my website, there is a podcasting section. So go to laurahornart.com, you click on the podcasting page and it will bring up the full catalogue of episodes and each episode has a show note. So for the last few episodes, we have included a vlog. If you want to make this simple, sign up to my newsletter list and I'll leave a link to that and you will get an update of each podcast episode and you'll be able to watch the vlog through that newsletter email that you get. So that's the easiest way so you don't have to go hunting on my website. You just sign up and you get those straight to your inbox each week. And I always love to hear back from people. So if you have any suggestions of future vlogs or podcast episodes, please don't hesitate to shoot me a message, leave me a comment, all of those sorts of things we love and it helps us to build this podcast and make it useful for you. I also want to say a big thank you to the people that leave lovely reviews for us to read. We always enjoy getting them. So the last review that we got was for the Art Studio episode. It was from CD from DC via Apple Podcasts in the USA. And the comment was, really enjoyed hearing your adventures in organising your art studio. Very helpful. So that is episode number 30. That comes with some show notes and also a little video that you can watch about 
how I organize my art studio. So if you enjoy this episode, there's a good chance you'd like that one too. Enough talking and time to get into this week's topic. (laughs) Okay, so this week we're sharing tips for making art on a budget. So my very first tip, being a painter and using a lot of paint in my work, is to be smart about your paints because for me, this is one of my main areas of expenditure. So a few things that you might want to think about are limiting your palette and if you have taken my classes, listen to this podcast. You've heard me talk about this before, no doubt, but this is one of the things that was a real game changer for me as far as my art, but also good for my budget. So I no longer go out and buy all the colors and the big sets. I'm very intentional about what kind of color palettes I use and I choose those colors based on that. And for most of the bodies of work that I do, I use maybe three to five colors. That's what I use for the whole body of work. So it brings a lovely cohesiveness to my work as well. So it's something to think about limiting your palette and only choosing a handful of colors. The next thing that you can do is mix your own colors. So when I choose those colors, I always know that I can create variations and differences just by mixing those colors and creating unique combinations. So I'm all about trying different combinations out. And I have to say that I never approach this in an art school way. I don't do a color wheel. I don't do it like that at all. I just ask the question, what if? What if I mix this color with that color? I have a sketchbook. I love my moleskin notebooks. I use those to slap color down. I create little color studies and I work from that. And it does save me money. Yeah, I love the way you you just dilute colors. to make them look different on the painting. Yeah, I experiment with the level of saturation of the colour. So what is it like when it's really thick and creamy, but then I try it again with water added to it so it's very watery and flowy and I just explore different variations and really try and get as much out of those three to five colors that I've chosen to work with that way I'm not having to spend as much on art supplies but it also has the added bonus that I'm really getting to know the materials that I do have One of the challenges when you are making a lot of art or you're working on really big surfaces is that you go through a lot of paint. So if you're painting big canvases. So another tip that I have around paints is to consider using something that's more affordable in your early layers or your underpainting. What I do is I use gesso. So I add extra layers of gesso to my canvases. I often tint the gesso a color. So it's almost like a a paint, but it's cheaper. It's more affordable than an artist grade paint. I use a product called Background Paint, which is by Matisse. It's an Australian brand. Essentially, it is a coloured gesso. I also use cheaper pigments. So I'm very aware of which pigments are more expensive when you're painting and using your paints. So for example, pigments like cobalt, cadmium, those kind of pigments are very dear. It doesn't mean that they're better than other pigments. They are rarer to find in order to create the paints. So when I'm doing an underpainting, I often use something like a burnt umber or one of the natural pigments that are much more affordable. In fact, I use a lot of those pigments in my work just generally, and I don't use the cobalts and the cadmiums very 
much because they're expensive, but also they're toxic. They are the very traditional paint pigments that were used a long time ago. There are newer synthetic versions of paints that are cheaper and they don't have the nasties in them. Can you give us an example of a situation when you would use some of those toxic paints? Well, to be honest, I try and stay away from the toxic paints. One of the things that I would suggest for artists is to get an understanding around what your paints are actually made out of. So when you look at the label of a paint, most companies are very good. So a company like Golden, for example, they provide the detail of what pigments make up your paint. So you can actually see what's in your paint. And when you have a pre-mixed colour, it will tell you what colours were used to mix that colour. So if you want to save money, you don't need to buy pre-mixed colours because you can mix your own by looking at what colours they use. So you can read the pigment label, look at the pigments and use the pure single pigment colours and mix your own colours. Oh, have you so, done that? Yeah. When people ask me how to mix colours, when I use something that is pre-mixed, I will, sh I will look at the pigment so that I can see how it was mixed and then go back and build the colour up. Mm, very smart. No, it's, it's really good to get to get to know pigments and get to understand what actually makes up the products that you use. You can geek out on it if you want to. Oh, really? Yeah, you can go, <laughs> you could research and find out about where these pigments actually come from. It's super fascinating, but we're not going to go there today. No, that's a rabbit hole you could go down. <laughs> yeah. Another tip that I have is to use mediums to extend your paint. And my favourite is glazing fluid. I use this in order to create sort of sheer layers of paint, but it also extends your paint because you only need a tiny little bit of pigment to tint the glaze glazing fluid and then you can create a whole layer with the glazing fluid. So there are other mediums that you can use, mix in with your paints and it's going to give you more paint to work with. And when you're buying colours, I do suggest when you go to the art shop, and I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again, it's very tempting to buy like big sets of things, like sets of paints or even mixed media supplies, particularly like pastels, pencils, you see the, like the boxes with all the colours. But from my experience, I tend to hone in on just a handful of colours in a set and then use them all up and I'm left with the other ones just sitting around looking pretty. So I am a huge advocate of being very selective about the colours that you choose, handpicking them. So rather than buying a big set, just choosing two or three things. I'd only buy a big set of something if I knew that I was going to use them or it was a like amazing deal. There's sometimes situations crop up and it is a good saving to buy something in a big set. When you say big set, you're talking about all the primary colours in a set of paints or are you talking about buy three, get one free? No, I'm, I'm talking about things like with watercolour paints, like buying watercolour palettes that have, you know, a hundred colours and things like that. Mixed media, like pastels, where you've got like 50 colours. It depends on the type of art you make, but certainly for the way that I work, I use usually only need a handful. I don't need 50 or 100 of any one thing. And then you just buy stuff as you need. Yeah. And then by the end of the year, you have lots of stuff. You know, if you were going to mix your own colours and use the primary colours, like you said, then it would make sense to buy a set with the primary colours in it. So if you know you're going to use the stuff and it comes in a set, by all means, go for it. Because usually you save money buying in, in a set because there's a discount attached to that. But only if you've got that sort of purpose in mind and you know that you need all the colours. Yeah, I got you. 
Okay, moving on. Another idea that I have for you is to paint on a smaller scale. That sounds so obvious. I know a lot of these tips are really obvious, (laughs) (laughs) but when you combine them together, it makes a difference. It means that you can make more art, keep that hobby going, or else have more profit in your bank account if you're selling your work. So I would suggest that if you want to save money and you want to keep that art coming out, have a think about doing a series on small surfaces. So it could be canvases, it could be small paper pieces, it could be sketchbook art. Think about limiting your substrate to a smaller size for a period of time. It's good because it saves you money, but it also really helps you to develop your art, like the concept behind your art. So I will often do mini work before I jump onto a big canvas. And it means that I don't waste supplies and time and effort sort of circling and trying to figure out what I'm going to do on the bigger canvas. I've kind of laid a good foundation and then I can bounce ideas off the smaller pieces up onto the bigger substrate. Yeah, you're honing your skills. Yeah, so it makes a lot of sense and that's generally what I do. And at the moment, I'm working on some abstract landscapes. That's exactly what I've started with some mini canvases. I'm using 12 inch by 12 inch canvases to get to know that subject matter, build my skills, hone the idea. And then more than likely at some point in the future, I will bring some of those ideas onto a bigger surface. But that's something that I can park for later. Now, we kind of alluded to this at the beginning of the podcast. This episode isn't about just buying cheap supplies. It's about being intentional. And there are circumstances where spending more money makes sense. And this is what I call identifying your investment items. And these are the things that that make an impact on your process and your end result. So it might be that it makes the process more enjoyable because you love using them. Or it might be that by using these supplies, you end up with a finished piece of art that's a higher standard, a higher level of quality. Because I see it all the time. (laughs) I see people struggling, not getting the results that they want because they're not using supplies that will help them get there. And this particularly evident in watercolour. With watercolour, I don't tend to take many I guess, what would you call it? Budget shortcuts. Yeah, budget shortcuts. I use a quality watercolour paper. The paper that I use is Canson Heritage Cold Press 300 GSM. I also use the Moleskin watercolour notebooks. The paper makes a difference. You can probably save a little bit on the actual watercolours, but again, I'd rather have less watercolours and have some higher quality options. And watercolour paints do go on special quite a bit. So I've picked up many of my watercolour tubes at half price, 30% off, and because they are expensive. Uh, but I would start with a small collection and get to know them. While I mentioned using background to paint for my acrylic paintings, when it comes to the final layers of the pieces that I do, I use artist quality paint. I make sure that I invest in paint that's going to give me the kind of finish that I like. 
I find that some craft or student grade paints, they just don't have the vibrancy of colour. They can have a kind of a different texture to them. They're not as easy to sort of push around. They're not as creamy. They can be a little bit chalky sometimes. I would say that they are good for journaling. So if you're doing sketchbook work and stuff like that, those paints can definitely play a role in that kind of work. But when you are doing work that you want to exhibit, or sell or put up in your home, then investing in some artist grade paints, you will see a difference. So I focus on buying quality paper and paints. One of the areas where I do try and save a little bit is with my pastels and crayons and things like that. Sometimes I use some student grade pastels and the reason for that is because I bought them years ago when I was painting with my kids and when I was doing things like art journaling and I love some of them. Some of them are just my favourite colours, they have a nice texture so I save money on those and I also don't buy huge quantities so it comes back to the sets and things. I don't buy big sets of pastels. Brushes isn't another area. I don't spend a huge amount on brushes, but I do have my favourites that I keep an eye out and buy on special. So editing down your tools is another way that you can save. Get to know what you actually use in your studio because most artists find they reach for the same type of brushes all the time. The favourites become very evident quickly. So it makes sense to buy them up in bulk. I have a few favourites. I love the mixed media brushes by Dinah Wakely. They're really firm. You know, they don't flop. It's hard to describe these things. <laughs> but they, yeah, they're, they're great for mixed media art. They're purposely, you know, designed for mixed media artists and they're firm and they're short. They don't have a big, long bristle. Love them. I also love the Royal and Lang Nickel brushes. They come in flat and angled brushes. I get them in the packs where you get like a one inch to three inch brush. They are also firm, but quite silky in texture. And I like those too. So just knowing what you love means that you're aware of it and then you can buy them up when they're on special or in bulk and now you do a fair bit of painting. Mm. How long would you get out of a brush? Some of the brushes I've been using for a very long time, five to seven years. Some of them I got when I was first You're started. About years? Yeah. I, for some reason, I'm thinking weeks in my no, head. No, no. I keep my brushes until they're really funky. Oh. I hardly ever throw them out because the thing is, is that they can get all jammed up and they provide like a different type of texture. Huh. So they become something else. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I keep my brushes for quite a long time. Sometimes if I'm naughty and I leave them out and they, I ruin them, then I, I ditch them. But I, I keep them. But I do like buying new brushes from time to time just to get that fresh brush feel. But I have my favourites. I definitely have my favourites. So years. Yeah, you huh. can get years out of brushes, particularly if you look after them. I don't look after mine, but I still get years, years out, out of them. them. Okay, so they're tough little things. <laughs> yeah, they are. And you can also buy cheap brushes. I think when you're a mixed media artist, this is particularly relevant because we're rough with our supplies. We do, we, we're rule breakers, mixed media artists we combine things that how dare you I know that weren't traditionally <laughs> combined together so I am a classic case of this where I just throw stuff at my canvas and just see what happens that can be 
tough on your brushes and you've got a beautiful delicate watercolor brush that was meant to be for watercolor and you're throwing acrylics and rough mediums at it and textural stuff and then yeah yeah. so if you're a mixed media artist often you don't spend huge amount on your brushes because of this reason and even looking at places like dollar stores and hardware stores and things like that because your favorite brush like when I talk about you know identifying your favorite it might be the two dollar brush that you get you know, mm. from the from the cheap shop. And just buy 20 of those and off you yeah. go. Yeah. Or it might not even be a brush. You might love spreading paint with Spatula. using, yes, a mm. kitchen tool or something around your house or a sponge or be open to those possibilities as well. And just because it's cheap doesn't mean it's not good. That's right. As I said, not all art supplies are created equal and it, this really goes both ways. There are things that it's fantastic to invest in and there are other things where the budget options are brilliant yeah they just really work yeah well I kind of just mentioned using unconventional tools around the home for brushes this can also be applied to the surface that you use so you don't always have to use a canvas or a wooden panel that you buy in an art shop you can be creative and use cardboard or wood that you have at home or pieces of paper that you prepare the key here is the preparation and knowing what you need to do in order to make those surfaces hold up to the media that you have chosen so I'm a fan of gesso I use it a lot to prepare things so I have white gesso I also love clear gesso it's fantastic because you can see whatever is underneath which can add an interesting quality to your work so if you were to put clear gesso on a wooden panel you'd be able to see the wood grain through clear gesso on a piece of newspaper or even like an old sewing pattern or something like that. You can get old books from uh, charity shops and prepare the pages using gesso. We've done a course on that haven't we? Yeah so if you have taken or you know about my minimal magic course we do a whole lot of exercises where you use old book pages to mix colours and come up with ideas and it ties back into using this limited palette but we don't use quality paper because if you're going to do a whole lot of colour swatching sometimes you don't want to use your whole notebook that you've spent money on just on colour swatching so you can do things like prepare paper and use that for your experimentation. You can also paint over paintings so if you've created something and then you come back to it you're not really happy with it by all means you can completely transform that painting and just keep painting on top of the old painting and I mean you've seen this you've seen me turn a painting into six paintings over time because I just keep on exploring new directions it comes with its own challenges doing that because you're building up texture through each painting that you put on a painting but it's an opportunity to explore what texture looks like in a piece when I was first painting I did this a lot I didn't have the money to go out and buy new canvases I just kept painting over the top of what I already had and that's how I learned so yeah you don't need to have 10 canvases you can paint <laughs> 10 paintings on one canvas <laughs> paint take a photograph paint take a photograph uh, I'm pretty sure if you went down like my early days on Instagram people would thought I painted all these different paintings the reality was I was just changing my mind all the time Mm -hmm. and painting the same painting on the same canvas yeah the canvas (laughs) the the canvas weighs a kilo when you buy it and it's four kilos when Laura's finished with it Uh, it's like it's like the never-ending story it's the never-ending canvas (sighs) I don't do that as much anymore thankfully but 
you, yeah, yeah. And I and I've learned that I don't love texture, so that is a challenge for me as an artist. But I, I like the texture that I put into a painting when I intended it to be there. But when I'm working with texture from all my mistakes, I find that a bit challenging. But I know other artists that absolutely love texture, like love really chunky, gritty. You know, so for if you're into that, then this strategy works really well. But there are other things you can do. You can take a canvas off of its stretcher frame and cut it up into mini paintings. That's another option. So you might think it's not working as a singular piece, but you can see compositions in it that are working. Well, if you take that off the stretcher frame, there's nothing stopping you from cutting it up. And you could use a viewfinder, so you could take a mat out of a frame and use that as a viewfinder and find compositions. And that piece of art that you thought maybe was wasted could become a series of mini paintings. You can also create collage pieces. You can cut your work up into little snippets and collage them in. So You do that quite a bit. That's always an option too. And, and you can paint over paper pieces as well. I talked about canvases. I mix things up. So I might start a painting in watercolour, feel like... Like it's a disaster and then just paint over it with gesso or acrylic and turn it into an acrylic painting so but that's because you're using a 300 gsm expensive paper well yes with the with the watercolor paintings i do have a good paper underneath that's going to hold up to all that media on top of it but if you were to use a not as good piece of paper but you had gesso on it and you kept layering paint over the top you actually build up the strength of your paper over time because of the gesso yes because of the gesso and the layers of paint that's a good tip yeah and the final tip that I have and this kind of ties in my with my theme lately of becoming a more planned artist becoming a planner if you do want to save money on art supplies it pays to plan ahead and have a think about what it is that you actually want to create before you even go to the art shop. I know it's hard. It's lovely to just go into an art shop and absorb all those materials and pick things up that take your fancy, but it's powerful to go into an art shop and actually ask yourself, what am I going to create with this? And like pick it up and go, where is this actually going to fit into my overall sort of vision as an artist? Can I visualize a body of work using this? And then you're sowing the seed for the creative work that you're going to do. And those art supplies aren't just going to gather dust because that's what happens if you don't sort of have something, a spark. You need a little spark. Every time I go into the art supply shop, I hand the lady my phone. (laughs) She treats me like the kid that gets sent to the shops by his mammy. (laughs) You know, and she's always laughing at me. But have you ever gone into an art shop to buy something specifically, only left with that piece, oh, ever? Have you ever done that? You're calling me out now, am, aren't yeah. you? He's <laughs> revealing the truth behind yeah. this. Yeah, I have to say there is there is room in your... Uh, I think you should make room in your budget for those little, one little magical thing. So, because you don't want everything to become planned, So what happens when I go to the art shop 
is I have my plan, I write a list, and then I often allow myself that... $600. <laughs> no, often it's like a one water watercolour tube. You yeah. know, it's just something that's not on the list. It's like an experimental item or something that just excites you and you didn't maybe foresee that you would like to use it, but you feel excited by the chance to try it. So you're giving yourself permission to browse, enjoy yeah. the experience of being in the shop. Yes. So... Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it, yeah. Look like it, you want to balance it out, yeah. you know. Uh, it's I, like when I go to the hardware store, like I have what I want and then the first thought that goes through my head is, now what don't I need <laughs> but I want? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think when you're budgeting, you almost need to allow, it's like any budget, don't you? You need a little buffer, a little buffer for those magical things that, you know, you just don't know where that might take you. So that's all the tips for this week. But I also just want to uh, remind you that we have a vlog as well. So if you want to watch a video where I talk about some of these tips, head over to the show notes for this podcast episode and you'll see the video there. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you found it helpful. If you've got any other tips that you'd like to share with me around how you save money on art supplies, please do share stories or posts over on Instagram and make sure you tag me in them so I get to see them. Oh, and of course, you can leave a comment over on the vlog. So we are also checking in there for your suggestions. One last thing before we go, we also just wanted to say how much we are enjoying your reviews and we, we will be sharing them on the podcast. So if you'd like to leave us a review, please head over to your podcasting app and leave us one over there.